death isn't this thing in the future. They say death is now, right? The, the time that passes belongs to death, Seneca says, meaning that, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, I have 75 years and at the end of 75 years, I die. It's that if you're 30 years old right now, you've already died 30 years. So what do you have to show for that, right? Like, what do you have to show for the time that you have? So when I think about, you know, today, did I show up and make a contribution with the very limited time that I have as a human being, as a writer, as a, as a spouse, as a parent, what do I have to show for like the two hours or two and a half hours that I had for creative time today? And I just try to focus on making a, a small contribution every day. Um, because if I'm ill-disciplined with time, what I'm really being is ill-disciplined with my life, with the most precious resource that I have. That little nugget of wisdom was from my dear friend, Ryan Holiday. You probably know Ryan as the 10-time best-selling author of numerous books focused on stoicism. Today, we talk a lot about how he is so successful and prolific as an author and his new book called Discipline is Destiny. Mr. Ryan Holiday, welcome back to the show, my good man. How are you? I'm great. Good to talk to you again. Where are you in the world? I'm in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Uh, I enjoyed visiting you at the bookshop not too long ago in Austin, Texas. That's where I am. I'm right above the bookstore right now. The Painted Porch. Yes. You guys are in the news lately. You guys are just making your own little ruckus there in Bastrop, Texas, outside of Austin, Texas right now, aren't you? Yeah, a little bit. You know, we talked about this way, way back on the first uh, interview that I not only ever did with you, but I think that I'd ever did with anyone uh, in your garage space studio. up there. In, yeah, studio in Seattle. I am... Um, when you do stuff in the real world, like if you put up a billboard or if you have a, uh, a store and then you decide to put something in the window or you have an event at the bookstore, it registers like from a news perspective, like 50 times more than just like anything else. You know what I mean? Like I could have opinion, I could be uh, very famous and just have a general opinion about things that would not be news. But then I could be this tiny little bookstore in Texas and decide to, invite someone to do a book reading in my store and suddenly it's like national news, right? And so one of the cool parts about this, the projects that I've done is like how often they've sort of punched above their weight as far mm -hmm. as like the impact they've had. But then I guess the, the flip side of that is also the responsibility, you know, it was like you have a platform, you have a thing, how are you going to choose to use it? So I, I think about that a lot too. Well, that's a great place to start. And we are going to cover your new book. Obviously, you're a book machine, the most prolific author I've ever known in my life. Certainly one of the uh, most prolific authors in generation. And this is not, I'm, I'm while we're good friends, I'm not saying this lightly. I think that is heartfelt and true and earnest and real. Well, thank but you. I think this there's a lot of uh, macro aspects of your work that I'd like to start with. For the handful of people who are not familiar with your work, I'm wondering what, how you would describe yourself. And then I want to get into this sort of the macro concept about Ryan Holiday, Ryan Holiday, author of many books and sort of shaper of a new generation of writers and a new way of engaging with culture. And then we're going to talk about um, 
your new book around discipline. So let's start off. How do you describe sure. yourself for the people who, who might be new to your work? I mean, I, th I think it's pretentious to call oneself a philosopher. Uh, it's not like artists. Like artists, I feel like there's something empowering about like identifying as an artist or a creative, right? So mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm all good with people who are like, like you're a writer when you decide to be a writer. But there's something about philosopher <laughs> that I don't quite like. So it, let's just say I write about philosophy, right? And the the... I think the central question of philosophy is not some abstract or theoretical debate of this or that. To me, I'm interested in, in why the ancients were attracted to philosophy, which was the pursuit of virtue, like how to be a good, responsible, decent, moral, you know, positive person in the world. So uh, I'm now in the middle of a series on the cardinal virtues, like virtue we see as a singular word, but it's really broken up into different categories. And for the Stoics, who I write the most about, those four virtues are courage, uh, self-discipline, justice, and wisdom. And I finished the book on courage. This is the book on self-discipline. I'm in the middle of the book on justice. But I would say the central theme of my philosophical work is about that idea, about virtue, how to live a good life and to be a good person in a world, you know, that is not always good uh, and uh, not or dust or with good people. Or <laughs> exactly. Yes, any of exactly. Those exactly. So philosophia means love of wisdom. I think if I'm not, if I'm, if I think you may recall that I was a PhD student in philosophy, so I know just enough to be dangerous and have the same fears of identifying as philosopher sounds <laughs> Ryan holiday philosopher but the reality is I think you're you are a philosopher and you'll go down as uh certainly one of the most philosophic of our generation and the, you know your pursuit what I, I'm curious again that that little request from you at the front yeah. of the show is to help others who might not be familiar with your work understand a little bit more about it identify with it but it is this philosophical Ryan Holiday that I want to start on. I said we were going to open the macro on these topics. Sure. And you yourself opened the show talking about the first interview you ever did on any show was this show back in, yes. I don't know, it was 2010 or something like that, maybe. It was a live internet show. It shot at my studio in Seattle. And in that particular piece, you had written a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying about how to manipulate the media. And if I'm not mistaken, it was essentially write a story, any story, and then try and help another sort of more um, and put it anywhere on the internet and then try and find a site with higher authority than yours to reference, not the facts, but actually reference your story. So then you can control the narrative and you're essentially to use your words, punching above your weight. And the irony of that is that is how uh, elections have been overturned. That is how, you know, that has turned into essentially a playbook, not all bad, but this is a very philosophical concept. Did you set out with not just saying that this is how this is happening in culture, but this is going to be what I'm going to do or what we are all going to do in the future. Is this a, was you, is it some master plan? <laughs> uh, I would preface everything, every part of the discussion about trust me, I'm lying with the fact that I wrote it when I was 24 years old, 
but the 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 sort of odd needle that I was trying to thread with that book, it was uh, I was coming at it from the perspective of I don't want to say a whistleblower as it sounds uh, maybe more it, it overrepresents the the attitude that I was coming to it, but I was trying to expose how something worked. Um, but I felt like, and I still feel like, philosophically, uh, very few people read books of media criticism, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's just not, uh, the media likes to talk about those books, but those books don't sell and they don't really reach anyone. And so I was trying to thread this interesting needle. I felt of, I felt like I was aware of some fundamental flaw in the system and uh, one that a uh, vast majority of the people did not know about, but was affecting the world that they lived in and the information they perceived. And I wanted to show them how it worked and hopefully change said system. But the tricky thing with any idea that people don't want to hear is how do you get them to hear that message? And so I tried to create a book that was both sensational and controversial that sort of ripped back the curtain but was also attractive or interesting to people who had a message that they needed to get out into the world. Like I think, um, as you said, it's not 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 everyone who uses the ideas in the book is bad. Uh, and so I, I don't know, I was trying to thread this sort of interesting needle, but as, as I look back on that time in that place in my life, I feel like my primary motivation was to sort of go, guys, this is how the sausage is being made. This is how one takes advantage or operates in that system. And you're going to have to bring your own moral compass to that. But like, this is not how it should be. And I think that book achieved it in some ways, didn't achieve it in other ways. But, you know, if I guess what I would remember telling myself at the time was, if, if I was really the bad guy here, I probably wouldn't write a book about it. I would, I would reveal use, the story as a secret, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, so I was trying to make a transition in my life from a place that I was not fully comfortable towards a place that I was more comfortable. And that's, I feel like the journey that I've been on, but I, as you can tell, I have mixed feelings about that book. But that's why I'm asking it because I think, I think that makes for a more interesting conversation. Of course, but. I don't like regret it, right? Um, in the sense that like I wish it never happened. I mean, I wish that I was never in a position to have written the book. In the sense that like I wish that the underlying facts in it were not true, and you know things like that. But uh, it's not like when I look back at the the writing that I'm most proud of. That is, it's not going to be that book. Is there an aspect of this in your work that is, and I will use our mutual friend, Neil Strauss, to articulate, he wrote about, if I'm just, I'm going to paraphrase yeah. this so it won't go off on a Neil Strauss tangent, but as much as I love him, but about, you know, this book on seduction, yeah. essentially, and then, you know, his later work is around basically redemption and relationships and, yeah. and is, is, do you feel like the what you learned, the 24-year-old, you said this is how the system operates, you write basically an expose that reveals all this stuff. Now it's sort of, I would say, known by any sort of media literate person that that is, happens and it's problematic. But that's also, there are tools and bits in there that are really valuable for say, helping people punch above their weight for breaking through. And you can have what was a, 
I mean, frankly, bro, stoicism is not a thing until Ryan Holiday makes it a thing. It was a thing in philosophy circles, but you've modernized it. So it's a, it become a, a voice for a niche to now become mainstream and you're on the lips and tongues of, you know, pro athletes and CEOs and world leaders, et cetera. So there's yeah, some redemption in there. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I obviously have heard from all sorts of people with positive causes or messages that they want to get out that sort of took the book and understood, okay, this is, this is what I'm up against, which was the intention that I was writing the book from. I've also heard from people with utterly repugnant views who are like, that book is my Bible. Right. And so there, there's a, a stoic lesson for sure in there that like, look, you only control it until it comes out. And then what other people do with it is outside of your control. Does yeah. that exempt you from, you know, the consequences of your actions? No, but like the idea that you can, you can decide who reads a book and how they use it. That's never up to you. I, I just feel like my aim in that book was to sort of capture some, like, I think every artist in every project, you're trying to be as true to yourself as you can be in the moment. And then there is a certain artifactness to every project once you finish, right? Like it, 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 that was who I was and what the world was when I wrote it in 2011. You know, 11 years later, um, some of the things are very true, unfortunately true. Some of the things are not true. I've changed the world, you know, I, I, I guess it's but it's just it's this thing and again like i imagine neil feels the same way if you're like okay what do you think of the game do you regret it you know he wouldn't be like oh i wish i never wrote that book because it was that a breakout book was, it was a breakout success uh he heard from lots of people who it positively impacted he himself was positively impacted by the transition he went through or the journey he went on and yet there's parts of it that he probably cringes about and regrets and what i like I, I definitely find that in all the books that I look at, uh, that I've written, there's parts that I look back and I, I cringe. And I, th I think there's a part of that that's good because if you were exactly the same as you were when you wrote it, that's not a good sign. Or if you had changed, but you just refused to accept it or acknowledge that change, uh, because you didn't want to admit you were wrong or because you didn't want to look weak or whatever it was, that's also not good. So it's a, it's a strange thing to reflect back on one's, you know, on, on one's past work, but that, that book is so charged and controversial that I, I don't, I don't think about it too much. I, uh, and yet, you know, I, I just got a sales stat for it and it's like still selling, which is surreal also. <laughs> Which cuts both ways to your own earlier yes. point. Yes. Well, that's actually in a, if you sort of distill that a little bit, that's a very eloquent way of talking about reflecting on any work. You're talking about the written word, but the same is true. I look at, you know, my past photography from 10 years ago and I go, oh, gosh, I was, that's what I was championing. Oh my, you know, you kind of, yeah. But it, if, if not that, you know, then probably wouldn't be, you know, those, those were stepping stones to other you know, places, specifically places that we are like right now, for example. Yeah. And look, if you're too, if you beat yourself up too much about stuff you've done in the past, and this isn't to say we can't disavow mistakes, we can't have regrets or whatever. But if like all you look at when you look at something you did a year ago, 10 years ago, when you were 15 years old, 
and all you do is cringe or all you do is beat yourself up about it. I think that also has the consequence of potentially censoring you or constraining you in the future, right? Like part of creating any work is being fully present and just following it wherever it leads, right? And like, um, there's another book that I did. And when I think back to what I would do differently, like the parts about it that I, you know, think don't hold up as well as I would like, I go, well, what was I thinking in that moment? And what I was thinking in that moment is what I thought other people would think about what I was doing, right? Mm. And so like, I think most of our best artistic creations have to come not in a bubble, but listening to some kind of inner voice, not thinking about how that thing is going to be received. What was that book? Uh, this is my book, Conspiracy. Uh, there's just the one you inter you interviewed me about this in uh, San Francisco. I remember we now. Did. What was the but fancy place that we did that at? The Commonwealth Club. The Commonwealth Club in San Francisco. Yes, I remember. Yeah, there's just a few passages in the book where I was like, I don't know. I don't want to say this because someone will think that like, it's not that I was pulling my punches, but just like self-consciousness is the enemy of the creative process. Great, great creative work. Yep, for sure. And, and if you spend too much time dwelling on how you've screwed up in the past, I think that engenders a kind of self-consciousness in the present moment because you don't want to do it again, but you will do it again. It's inevitable, you know? Yeah. That has a way of sort of folding back on itself. Um, all right, let's pause all of the sort of the reflection on work, which I think yeah. is helpful. I wanted to get, I wanted to talk about that, but I also now, in an extension of this uh, concept of talking about your, your, um, I'll say career, because that, you know, it's going away from my fascination with the Stoic virtues is, you know, seemingly endless. I know our, both of our, our mutual agent and Steve, you know, also a philosophical yeah. person and we share a lot of, you know, I shared my philosophy. So I, I find the value there, but what is becoming of increasing interest to uh, me personally and our friendship, but also what I think I want to direct some, the listeners and watchers of this show to is your career, like the, you know, you start to zoom out a little bit and how you've managed to be um, as prolific, as successful. And it's, it seems to me, knowing you, just increasingly more comfortable in your skin, you've created a, a living and a life that you seem to write and share, even in private moments with me, a lot of joy around that stuff. And so, you know, Ryan Holiday, the artist who's done a great job creating a living and a life that he loves, has become as interesting to me as any of the individual works. Now, we don't get the latter without the former. So we'll have to talk about those books. And you're, you know, again, this book on discipline is fucking amazing. You're getting, it's like, it's, it, your, your scalpel is very sharp. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more about this, the career. You have a set of habits. You talk at, at, at great length and you write about these stoic virtues, but the virtue, for example, of discipline, you do not get to be Ryan Holiday enjoying this lovely, amazing career and a great family and friend circle without a shit ton of discipline. So what are some of these other missing attributes that's, that are not 
titles of your books that you feel like have been able to, you know, be building blocks in what I consider to be a very fulfilled. This is one of the things I'm writing about the difference between success and fulfillment right now. So talk to me about what are some other ingredients that are not book titles that go into making a career like one that you've got. Well, there's a lot there. I mean, I, I would agree that there's a difference between success and fulfillment. Um, certainly, there's a lot of successful people, more success. Certainly, there's a, a lot of successful people who are not happy. And I'd also argue there are a lot of successful and powerful people that you would not want to trade places with, right? Um, and no one should trade places with because there's like nothing worse than being that person. Um, so, I think you have to figure out sort of what are your goals. Like, uh, I think a lot of people. Have you heard? Have you heard of this term, art monsters? No. Uh, I, I, I'm forgetting what the, there was a female, um, a, a female writer. She was talking about this. She it basically she opened one of her novels with this sentence. It was sort of like, it was like I didn't want to have kids, didn't want to get married. I just wanted to to be an art monster. And, and what she meant was like, be someone whose work utterly consumed their life. And she was just sort of able to do whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted. I heard um, Philip Roth, who was a literal art monster, it, it turns out, said something was like, um, he's like, I want my life. Uh, I, what did he say? It was something like, uh, I, I wanted my life to be like, he wanted to be, there was always an emergency and he was the emergency. Like that's how he wanted his life to be set up. And I was just like, that's like the saddest thing that I've ever fucking heard in my life, you know? Um, so like when, when I think about like being successful as a writer, I would like to obviously make books that sell, that have impact, that are good, et cetera, et cetera. But I would also like, you know, not people to be whispering, sure, but he was a fucking monster or sure, but like, you know, his kids hate him or, you know, sure, but he was a complete and total hypocrite, you know, or whatever that is. Right. And so when I, I try to think about success in a more holistic way, in that sense, like I kind of think about it as like, I have these like three things that I'm balancing one, which is my creative, uh, you know, sort of, uh, actualization. And then two is my marriage. And then three is my children. And I'm, I'm not saying those in order. I'm saying those are three things and that those things have to find a balance with each other. Right. And so uh, to pursue like only a relationship with my spouse that, uh, you know, at the expense of my relationship with my kids, that's not success, uh, you know, to to explore just, you know, a happy home life but I leave all this stuff on the table. You know, I don't fulfill like what the, the gifts I have or the, the interests that I have. That's also not a success. And so I, I kind of think about trying to, to sort of advance all of those things in some kind of a balance with each other. And obviously this does take discipline, right? I was just reading this, um, this great book called uh, The Baby on the Fire Escape, which is about female authors who had children. And there was this scene that really struck me. She, uh, this, um, is a sculptor or a poet? I for, I'm forgetting her name. Um, uh, something. Oh, Diane De Palma, uh, or De, Diane De Prima. And she was at this party, and Jack Kerouac was there. It was like one of these beats party, beat parties in in New York City. And and she, um, she gets up to leave, and everyone goes like, "Why are you leaving?" 
And she says, oh, I, I, um, I told the babysitter I would be home by 10, right? And, uh, you know, they're all sort of silently judging her. Like, she's not really committed. She's, you know, whatever. And Jack Kerouac, who sounds like a real piece of shit in this story, um, says, you know, if you don't forget about that babysitter, you'll never make it as a writer. And uh, she, she looks at him and she says, actually, no. Uh, if I don't go home to the babysitter, I'll never make it as a writer. And her point was that she had given this person her word that she would be home by 10. And she actually saw this as the, all the same amount, uh, uh, same sort of spectrum of discipline, right? Like if you say, I'm going to sit down and write this poem tomorrow, that your word has to matter. If you tell your kids, I'll be at your baseball game, that also has to matter, right? And so it's if you think about, you don't think about discipline as this thing you compartmentalize off, you know, to be a great basketball player, but as discipline as a as a way of life, a, a thing that you embody as a person, then I think you're a little bit closer to getting it right. Mm. That is fascinating. That so. I specifically asked you a question, what are some of these other things? And we landed on discipline because I think it's a very, sure, it's very crisp, right? It's crispy. Well, I think it's at the core of all of it. You know what I mean? Like sort of all comes down to discipline, but sure. Yeah. I, so, I guess I'd have to think of some other things. No, no, but that's, this is, this is the conversation. It's, you know, I'm not like asking you a question. You answer the question. We move on. Like the, there's a discussion here and it seems like, you know, the courage, for example, to cite your last book, to, you know, be vulnerable and put your interests on paper and out there in the world and to be willing to, you know, ask people if they're interested in buying this to support your books or you, know, you, you talked a lot about that stuff. But what are some of what are, what are some of these things that have helped you? I'll, I'll frame it very particularly, specifically punch above your weight. Why? Why has your work cut through? Sure. Beyond because you wrote every day and because you are talented and hardworking. Oh, I can think of two sort of very obvious ones, and they're they're kind of related. So number one is uh, work where you're just like pulling raw inspiration, true originality out of the ether of the universe. I think that requires that you're a genius, right? That you're a prophet who's been given some, you know, magical gift from the gods and you're one in a million and like, you know, you're Albert Einstein or whatever. You're just a genius. I have no pretensions that that's who I am. I think uh, I'm much more of the school of like, uh, by definition, when I write about Stoke philosophy, is like my work is rooted in proven established tradition that goes back thousands of years right so i'm not inventing these four i didn't i didn't go hey what are the four touchstones of a good life i'm going to write a series of books about those things right mm -hmm. i was introduced to what the stoics call the cardinal virtues got a lot of value out of them in my own life and said i would like to explore that topic in a four book series, 
what have really smart people said about this historically, right? So I'm not just punching above my weight, but I'm starting from, you know, way ahead of someone who's, you know, developing something totally from scratch. And then two, I would say, even as I do that, I tend to use stories to illustrate my point, right? And uh, I think stories are powerful. I think stories are the fastest way to, to, to convince someone of something, to illustrate an idea. It's the most memorable version of this. And I think the greatest example of those two things coming together would be something like the hero's journey, right? When George Lucas creates one of the most valuable franchises of all time, yeah, sure, the space lasers and the character names and, and the world is an original creation, but it's rooted in a 2000, 3000, 5000 year old arc that we're narratively very familiar with. And so we're able to follow all the silly science fiction and not be put off by it because we know we identify fundamentally with Luke Skywalker because he's Odysseus and he's Gilgamesh. And, you know, he is he is the character of all. He's the the. He's the hero with a thousand faces. Mm. Interesting. This, the idea that we have to come up with the original work is one of the things that I know keeps so many creators and, you know, entrepreneurs that it keeps them stuck, right? They're, they won't move an inch because they can't move a mile. And I'm wondering if, um, you, you, since you're borrowing essentially this vehicle, how much of a problem do you see it in, in I'll, I'll say our friend circle or, or, you know, would you, is this something you'd agree with that this is a, a big problem, a paralyzer for a lot of people who want to get do creative work? Yeah. I mean, it goes to the self-conscientiousness that we were talking about earlier or the self-consciousness that we were talking about earlier, where people are like, well, I want to be seen as breathtaking and original and fresh. You know, they're not thinking what's the best way to tell this story, right? Like what's going to, what, what's going to get the point across or what am I most interested in? Right. Like, um, I, 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 I think these things are all related and, and you definitely see people kind of like paralyzed by, you know, wanting to be seen a certain way or needing it to be a certain way instead of just like sitting down and doing something cool. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I I just I don't put much stock into that. Like sometimes people will go like, uh, and actually I had I had Malcolm Gladwell on the Daily Stoke podcast and we talked about this a little bit. Um, I was like, um, what is the deal with people, you know, sort of accusing you of being a popularizer? That seems like not only not an insult, but like the whole point <laughs> of work is to popularize ideas that are beneficial to people and and so like when people go oh he's just popularizing stoicism i'm like yeah that's like literally what i set out to do so uh, uh thanks uh, it is that is uh it's striking but this th there's a this is dragging me somewhat reluctantly because the the example that i have uh is one that just came up uh, this morning, I was giving an interview 
And the person asked some questions about, yeah, but you know, so how did you get here? And I said, that's the biggest trip for me is that the reason I was, you know, fill in the blank, a guest at the White House or Buckingham Palace or win X award was not because I followed some prescription of, but if you, cause if you write down the shit that you think is going to get you there, wherever there is the, you know, the, the mountaintop or the pinnacle or 10 best-selling books like yourself or whatever the thing is, if you make the list in a vacuum of the shit that you should do, it does not look anything like the list that if you look at anyone who's actually done that shit, the lists are totally divergent. And so, you know, if, if you wanted the thing that the example I was giving in this interview this morning, if you wanted those things, it would not be take your dad's camera and take pictures of yourself and your friends skateboarding and surfing and snowboarding. That is not the fucking ticket. And yet, if you ask people who have done what you have done, the ticket for writing 10 best-selling books, would it be to go to work for a fashion brand? Sure. And then, you know, and then it's just, so what I'm getting at here is how important is it in, again, I'm talking about Ryan Holiday, the brand here. How important has it been for you to follow your weirdest, quirkiest, to say that you had a passion for stoicism 10 years ago, if you told me you'd make a career on that, I would say you're fucking high. You're no one's going to care about, you know, this 3000 year old thing, man. And yet here you right. are. Yeah, so, I mean, my, my my publisher said the same thing. I was like, hey, I'd like to write for my next book. I'd like to write about an obscure school of ancient philosophy. You know, uh, they weren't like, let's back up the Brinks truck. You know, like they were not, <laughs> they were not, they were not excited about that. I got a piece of advice pretty early on in my career, uh, which was from a writer. They were basically like, writers live interesting lives, right? And so I, I do think it's important. Yeah, if if I said, okay. I'm, I'm sketching out a path where someday I want to write about ancient philosophy. Uh, should I drop out of college? Should I go work in at a fashion company? Should I, you know, start my own marketing business? Like, Bob, you'd be like, that feels like it's getting you very far from <laughs> where you want to go. opposite day, that's what you'd want to do. <laughs> yeah. And yet, like, I'm writing the, the third book in this series right now. And I wrote a chapter two days ago that's directly built around like, not just like something I saw, but I'm like literally telling the story of something that happened to me at this fashion company that was a, ended up being this major news story and all this stuff. Uh, the, the point being like, you can't write about a world that you haven't experienced. You can't speak to human beings if you don't know people and how they work and what's you know, what's operating underneath, right? You have to go experience things like um, in a weird way, the actual, it's not that craft is not important and not extremely hard, it is. But in some ways, like the actual nuts and bolts of like, say, clicking the camera or, you know, um, stringing the words together, it's almost the least important part. Like the most important part is like, having a point of view, having something that you feel compelled to say or do, you know, having a message that matters, that is like the one irreplaceable part of it, right? Like mm. if you think about how many, let's just take photography and I don't want to like uh, shit on any type of photographer, but like 
think about how many wedding photographers there are and event photographers there are and like family photo photographers there are. There are hundreds of thousands of people who know how a camera works and then only a, a select few of them that make, you know, an artistic creative living from that thing, you know, uh, where their work is in galleries and it's, you know, makes the news and blah, blah, blah. That Luck is obviously a huge part of that. But the other big part of that is they have captured something. They have a point of view. They have something to say that, you know, is more important than their actual ability to use the tools, which they may not actually be that good at, right? What matters is what they're saying. Mm. Um, that reminds me of Brandon Stanton, dear friend, Humans of New York. Yeah. He's, he's was and he would he would avow this too he'd call me like hey man i'm i've got to shoot the i got invited to shoot the met gala i don't i don't shoot with a flash like how do i do this shit and yes, yeah. yet he, i think he at some point he was like one of the largest social media followings of any independent artist outside of recording artists or television and, and yeah. it was just like oh, his impact is like 50 million you know views on every freaking you know post he makes and his art is unique and yet the tool was a is a, is a byproduct. So there's lots of examples of that. And I, I think you've, you've hit on something really important, this sort of having a point of view and being comfortable with that point of view. And for you say, making stoic philosophy, uh, cool and valuable. And so this makes me want to just pause for a second and tell the reader, listener, watcher of this work right now to like, you've got to double down on that part of yourself that is interesting and quirky. And what is it that you feel like you could write about and not, not, you know, what you started with, which is, you know, how you looked at yourself and trust me, I'm lying. What are other people going to want to think that I'm writing about or something like there was a sort of another one set of yourself removed in there where you're thinking about what other people are thinking about versus this, your experience of life. That's right. But this is a reasonable tangent to dive into what the topic of your book is, though, because you can't get anywhere with any of this shit. You can't, um, well, very few things in life happen with any sort of intent over any sort of meaningful time period without uh, discipline. So here we are at the second book in a four book series. And why don't you introduce the concept um, very, I mean, we understand what discipline is. And one of my sort of favorite concepts is there's the, the, the discipline of, or is it the pain of um, work and then the, the, dis, or the pain of discipline or the pain of, what is it? Something like that. There's, help me here. There's something like, it's always, someone gets, there's pain involved and discipline, you know, the pain of discipline is better. Oh, it's the pain of regret. That's right. Yeah, or the the pain of the pain of discipline is probably preferable to the pain of in, ill discipline. Yes. Right. So it's like, do you want the the pain of like sitting there, uh, writing day in and day out? It's not the most pleasurable, enjoyable of activities. Or do you want the pain of you know taking an easier route, lying to yourself about how you don't really want to do it, but then later on you're like, man, I could have done it, right? Or man, I, I, I could have done more. And so, yeah, I think discipline is at the core of any creative profession. It, it's important like to, to not just 
to also see those professions themselves as a discipline, a thing that you study, right? And so like, uh, I think about writing this way, I think about business this way, it's like, it's, it's this thing and you have to be committed to it. You have to show up and do it every day. Like people sometimes go like, how do you make so many books? Well, I certainly don't, don't think about writing lots of books, right? Like I don't have a number that I'm trying to get to in terms of books written. I don't have a, a number I'm trying to get to in terms of books sold. Um, I just sit down and I do it every day. And the, res the, the result of consistently committing to a discipline is published work comes out of the other side of that, right? Um, this book was, you know, two, two and a half years of, you know, steady, consistent top, uh, focus on a singular topic. It was about, you know, a little less than a full year of writing. Um, but the result was the book, right? And I, there was no point where I said, it's going to look exactly like this and come out on this day, blah, blah, blah. No, it was every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Thursday, every Friday, and then sometimes Saturdays and Sundays, I made progress on this thing. And eventually it ended up being whatever it is. Part of the core, one of the core, if not the core tenet of stoicism is that we can't control events. We control how we respond to them. Yeah. And talk to me about the role that discipline has in that sort of philosophical, that lens. Well, I mean, think about it. Like, so this book comes out, I don't know when people are listening to it, but as we're recording it, it's exactly uh, 20 days away, right? Um, I have no idea how many copies it will sell. I have no idea what the response from the audience will be. I have no idea what awards it might win or not win. I have no, no control over whether my publisher you know, decides whether it's a success or not. In some sense, I stopped having really any real control over this project when I turned it in for the last time earlier this summer, right? Like I controlled the work that I put in, the thoughts I directed on it, the standards I held myself to. I controlled that day-to-dayness of it. And then after that, it leaves your hands. And you have to get comfortable with that part of the creative process. And I, one of the things I've come to, to realize is that the more time I spend hoping or resenting or wishing or wanting or manifesting, or and the more time I, I spend thinking about the external results, the reception is time that I'm like, so if I was sitting here thinking about all those things about this book now, that let's say I spent an hour on it today. That's one hour that I didn't spend on the book that I'm doing now, right? And we only have so much time. Are you going to focus on the work or are you going to focus on the parts of the work that you don't control? Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about time. Yeah. Um, you explored this at, in great length in the book and specifically that time is this non-renewable resource. In fact, it's like the sort of the non-renewable resource. So, you know, what ways do you advocate for in this book? And, and just generally, again, and I want to say the book title specifically, so you can go out and buy this and support Ryan's work. It is absolutely brilliant. I think it's your best work. Every time I, we have you on the show, we say that, but it means you're getting better. Discipline is destiny is the name of the book, but let's, you know, talk to us about the time component 
of that, that, you know, where discipline and time interweave. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, I take from the Stoics, they say that uh, death isn't this thing in the future. They say death is now, right? The, the time that passes belongs to death, Seneca says, meaning that, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, I have 75 years and at the end of 75 years, I die. It's that if you're 30 years old right now, you've already died 30 years. So what do you have to show for that, right? Like, what do you have to show for the time that you have? So when I think about, you know, today, did I show up and make a contribution with the very limited time that I have as a human being, as a writer, as a, as a spouse, as a parent, what do I have to show for like the two hours or two and a half hours that I had for creative time today? And I just try to focus on making a, a small contribution every day um, because if I'm ill-disciplined with time, what I'm really being is ill-disciplined with my life, with the most precious resource that I have. Mm. That hits just a little different there. <laughs> so the fact that this is not a this is not a stoic idea this is a human idea and the stoics have sure. just latched onto it what particular lens do stoics and your approach from a stoic philosophy point of view bring to this that other traditions haven't well, the Stoics were, are practitioners of the, this practice known as uh, memento mori, the idea that we are mortal, uh, that we should be constantly, not, not morbidly, but constantly be aware of our own impending death or mortality so that we can, you know, one passage in meditations, Marcus really says, concentrate like a Roman. He says, focus on the thing in front of you as if it was the last thing you were doing in your life. And so, you know, if you're just kind of lack, lackadaisical about, oh, you know, I was thinking about, you know, taking the camera out later or, you know, I, I, I was going to try to do some writing in June, but I was busy and, you know, maybe or like maybe I'll paint today. Maybe I won't. You know, you're not you're 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 there's a certain amount of arrogance in that. Right. Because you're taking it for granted that you will have later. And that's not a guarantee. And, you know, uh, are you going to want to look back in those final seconds on earth and be like, I have so much left to say that I, not not that I said everything, not, not that anyone's ever at a point where they do everything they wanted to do or, or were, were as creative on everything as they wanted to be. But do you go, man, I fucking wasted like a lot of opportunities Yeah. or I was afraid like this is where courage comes in. I should have just come out and said it. I should have just been true about what I thought or what was important to me or, you know, made what I thought was cool. Um, I should have just fucking done it. So core to um, discipline is not, uh, not just the concept of time. That we have a limited amount and might as well make the best the best of it but there's all sorts of other uh boundaries that are required and that i think are key or core to discipline that you talk about 
Um, and I'm, I'm guessing that there are someone who's listening right now or, you know, sitting in traffic or on the walking trail with this in their ears or whatever that's saying, shit, you know, I keep letting these other aspects of my life creep into the thing that I want, you know, to do for myself or for my career, or my, what I have this big, this big dream. Yeah. And when I think of, you know, my friends who have this lovely balance of success and fulfillment, there, there are, there are boundaries, there are established boundaries. I think you do a great job of that. I'm wondering if you can give some advice from that's found in the book, but expand on it uh, around the, the, the concept of boundaries for you, your career, why you find it so valuable. Well, I think what you're really talking about there, and I do talk about it in the book is, is like, what are you saying no to? And Steve Jobs was notorious to go around Apple and he'd want to know like what features were the designers deciding not to add? You know, what were the the avenues they were not going down? And then in their regular lives, like what things were they turning down so they could focus on what matters? And I think one of the paradoxes, we talked about success earlier, one of the paradoxes or or you know, problems with success, uh, Tennessee Williams called it the catastrophe of success is that as you become more successful, you have all these other things that you can do, all these reasons not to do the hard stuff. And so you have to be, you have to be disciplined about what you say yes to and what you say no to and understanding that, look, when you say no to something, that, that's what you're really saying is yes to something else. And conversely, when you just say yes, 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 yes to every you know, random email that comes into your inbox, the the main consequence of that is that your work is being said no to or your family is being said no to or your mental or physical health is being said no to right and so understanding that you cannot say yes to everything and in fact to be great you have to say no to a lot of things mm. When I think of boundaries, I think of um, a lot of things feel gray, right? They're like, if I send you an email, say, hey, man, you know, I'm hoping to get your help. Yeah, I got this new manuscript coming out and love your, you know, your eyes on it. And to be able to, I, you know, I think, again, I think of our friendship uh, and, you know, mutual respect and to be able to say no in one of those things, in one of those moments, I think that, you know, it's like, it's hard. It's sort of like, do I do the hard, you know, the, the easy fast thing or the stupid slow thing? You're always going to say the easy fast thing. And, but it, these questions are never, they're never like that. It's like, oh, Chase has asked me for help with his manuscript. I like Chase. I like manuscripts, <laughs> but, but I have, I gotta, you know, I have to say no, like, that is really what, you know, I think anything that doesn't try and explore this is just hollow. So help me explore this. I heard a good rule that I try to use, which is like, don't say maybe when you want to say no, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> you, you got to actually take a second and think like, uh, can I do this? Do I want to do this? Is it right for me to do this? You know what I mean? Uh, you, you gotta, you gotta slow it down and really think about it. And that, that, yeah, that requires 
that requires discipline, right? Like it's, it's, it's easy to say yes, or it's easy to be like, uh, maybe, and then hope that it never comes up again, but it will come up again. <laughs> you're just, you're just making more work for yourself later. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So you've made this life of making a popularizing stoic philosophy and i think you write about it a lot and you've given some of your own examples but is stoicism really at the core of your life like are you living you know temperance is not a thing that i wake up personally like wow how's my temperance today or like i i mean how at the core of your life are these things is it very explicit or are these more just subtleties that you are, they're virtues that map really well onto virtues that you label maybe something different than wisdom? Um, you know, so are you basically, are you walking the talk? How much, how much stoicism do we need if, if we're going to be successful like Ryan Holiday? Do we have to have the four virtues written on our bathroom mirror? Um, what, what, how, do you, how do you actually employ them? Is it well, with, I, like, I was just about to walk over when you said that, but I didn't want to leave the camera here. My memento Mori uh, coin is right over there. But oh, I love it. Are you waking up and looking at the memento Mori coin every morning, or what are you doing? <laughs> well, I have the four virtues tattooed on my arm as a reminder. Um, so I can't be doing that great if I need a reminder. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would say, like, what's interesting about the, the the four virtues is that different situations, different times in one's life you know, sort of call them out differently. So like, I, and I also think to go to what we we're talking about earlier, it's like, it's probably more for other people to decide how well I'm walking the talk uh, than just like, you can't call yourself a philosopher. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it to other people. But um, like of the different virtues, I would say discipline is the one I have the least amount of trouble with. In fact, uh, my struggles with discipline are are usually about, and this is like that job interview of like, my main, <laughs> my main biggest weakness. I'm yeah, yeah, so I, committed. <laughs> I, I, I work too hard. You know, I just care too much. But like, usually my struggle with discipline is usually with an excess of discipline. You know, yeah. the ability. So for me, it's like, can I relax? Can I take a break? Can I pace myself? You know, um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing now about justice and it's hard not to look at, you know, people who have had incredible uh, you know, impact in the world, bringing about change or whatever, and and go, man, I haven't had, I haven't done one tenth that this person has done, right? Um, so I, I think the 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 virtues, like we're all going to have spots that we're like comfortable with, but the whole point is that it's supposed to challenge you and get you out of that comfort zone towards some kind of higher self. And that, that's what I feel like the journey that I'm on is. Hmm. I'm recalling a piece, uh, a piece in the book. I think you opened this. It's a, the, the piece is about pain because a lot of discipline. I want to, I want to follow up question in a second. I want to plant the seed is like, I want to talk about like the cultural use of discipline, because as a parent, for example, discipline may actually be seen as bad or loaded or, and I'm, you know, I, I think we need to get away from the sensitivities there. So I want to put that on, on a shelf for a second or put a pin in sure. this and go back to the, the, the relationship that discipline 
has with sort of pain. And I think in the story you, you open, it was like JFK was, you know, he had all kinds of different, um, you know, he had uh, physical pain. Uh, he had some, I think, uh, he had some, what is it, Addison's disease? Is that what it is? He had, yeah. He had a, yeah. A, yeah, some autoimmune thing and he had some back pain from football. And, and then he used to basically take, you know, a pretty powerful cocktail. And I'm wondering, you know, talk to me about the, the role that pain plays in discipline. Because when I think just 10 more push-ups or just four more reps or just an hour more in front of the, you know, behind the lens or in front of the, you know, the keyboard or like, there's just pain associated with this. Let's talk about that, the role that that plays in discipline and cult cultivating this successful and fulfilled life yeah i i don't want people to think discipline is just like you grit your teeth and you just take it like you just you have no you have a high pain threshold you just endure it um i mean look that pain is a part of life and and there is some certain amount of pain that we have to put up with but to me when i think about the role of discipline to me it's about balance right it's about uh, a sort of a holistic approach to life i think when i what i was trying the point i ended up making about kennedy in the book is that you know, um, he ends up, of, yeah. well, he, end, yeah, he, he, he basically gets hooked on painkillers and all these other things, you know, he's trying not to feel pain and it's not his fault about these injuries. But, uh, finally this doctor looks at what he's taking and he's like, dude, you're the president. You control nuclear weapons. You can't be on these drugs. And, and he, he puts him on this physical therapy regimen that for the first time actually makes a difference in Kennedy's life, right? And so what Kennedy was doing was trying to treat the symptoms of a problem rather than the underlying issue of that problem. And I think that's a good metaphor for the rest of us, which is like, yeah, it's not about white knuckling it, but it's about finding a balance, creating a kind of sustainability, developing a practice that allows one to go the distance in whatever it is that we're doing. There's one line that I have highlighted here, which is heal a little bit each day, get a little bit better each day. Yeah. That that's where the actual work and that is the that is the pain that you should try and be focused on is, is getting better at the core to, at the, the the root of the problem rather than um masking or in you know in Kennedy's uh example, but I, I just think how how applicable this is to daily life. Like totally the hard path is hard it's hard for a reason because the rewards certainly ought to be greater otherwise it would be the other way around right evolutionarily i don't think i don't think we have a scientific we can't support that statement scientifically that the the hard, the easy fast thing is usually much better than the slow hard thing that's right or here that's talking right. about therapy right you're um, be, be very suspicious of shortcuts in life and in art. Mm. Well said. All right. Now we're going to go to this other piece that I've, uh, I wanted to go on a journey with you here around discipline as a, as a bad word in yeah. our culture, discipline, like children are disciplined or, um, I don't, you know, I don't want my, this person in my son or daughter's life doing the disciplining i'm going to do it we're going to do it in a very you know kind constructive way and there are sort of vestiges of like sure. spanking and old school discipline and 
And I think you talk about discipline a lot more holistically in this book, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping you can address, this will certainly be a little soundbite that discipline in our culture has come to be a bad word. Why is it a bad word? And why can you tell us that that's wrong? Look, I, I, I'm to, here's what I would say. It's called self-discipline for a reason, right? These are about the standards that you hold yourself to. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from Marcus Aurelius, he says, tolerant with others, strict with yourself, right? So discipline isn't making up a bunch of rules for how the creative process should be, how life should be, how diet should be, how work should be, and then enforcing it on other people who never agreed or signed up for the Ryan Holiday or Chase Jarvis theory of life, right? Uh, this is self-discipline. This is the standard you hold yourself to. This is what you demand of yourself. And you have to be strong enough, restrained enough to go, what other people do is their fucking business. And their approach is their fucking business. And how it works for them is their fucking problem, right? And, and so I think about it that way, right? Obviously, in a society of laws and in a system or what there are you know certain enforcement mechanisms and there's certain standards and there is such a thing as discipline but this is a book and the 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 virtue we're talking about and with regards to the stoics is self-discipline uh, it's what one demands of themselves beautiful books broken into three pieces the first part is uh, the outer domain, the exterior, the body. The second bit is the inner domain, temperament. Uh, and the last is the soul, the magisterial. Yeah. Um, I'm going to focus on the emotional part. People, again, going back to the that sort of core um, tenant of stoicism, that it's sort of it's not what happens, it's how we respond that matters. Uh is is it in the emotional world that most people most people struggle the most or if we're going to try and get the most bang for our buck out of discipline and is it going to be you know waking up and doing push-ups and you know only having zero to one glasses of red wine or is it how to manage our mindset yeah i mean uh look we live in a world where terrible things happen we live in a world where culturally we're served up, you know, terrible, insightful, inciting, frustrating, obnoxious, distracting things all the time. Discipline isn't just like buckling down and getting to work. It's also not getting upset about things that are outside your control. It's not losing your temper. It's not tweeting every fucking thought that pops into your head, right? It's like staying on task, being in con command of oneself, you know, not dumping your emotions all over other people because you're in a bad mood. You know, it's it's like being an adult, right? And uh, when we think about temperament and temperance, I think there's a reason those words are so similar. They are they are they are related to each other. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> I, I like it. No, it's uh, you know, it's 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 easy to be a mess in a sense, right? And it takes discipline to be like, my emotions are my problem, my thoughts are my thoughts, my opinions are my opinions. And uh, you know, I'm not gonna be sucked into every little squabble or, you know, distraction because I'm, you know, I'm working on something big and important. 
if your problem is, I'll say this is not uncommon. I'm, I think I shared earlier, I'm one of the things I'm exploring in the book I'm working on right now is this relationship between success and fulfillment. And um, if your problem, you, Ryan Holiday, mentioned that this idea of overdoing discipline, I will, you know, I will decide to swim the hundred laps today because I said I was going to do that at the cost of my kid's baseball game to make up your earlier earlier example. Uh, How are you, you know, talk to me about your specific recipe for not you know how, my how, struggle. Do you, how do you how do you take the edges off this shit and make it a philosophy for life and not a military you know a military um cornerstone yeah it's a it's a it's definitely a struggle um i think this is where you know having people in your life that can give you perspective are really important i think spouses are great for this friends are good for this editors are good for this right it's like dude you are this isn't, you can't do this or, but you already said this, or what about this? Or, you know, uh, so, so I think sometimes it, it, it is self-discipline, but that doesn't mean you can't have systems or structure around you that holds you accountable, that keeps you honest. Um, and I, I, it's also important that we have, you know, bigger goals that put us in perspective. Like as a writer, my goal is to do this for a long time, which means I have to pace myself which means I have to, I can't spin off the planet or burn out or, you know, blow up. That's not, that's not going to work. Let's go more into this. Uh, I uh, just having spoken about this and knowing a little bit about uh, our, both of our personal lives, my wife, Kate has been like uh, absolutely 100% key. And I think you make jokes, especially social media and whatnot around how Sam is maybe the more stoic of the two of you. (laughs) Um, you know, how, how important is it in having these people that you met, you, you mentioned in the last response, how, you know, how do we, how should we, how important should we think of keeping those people in our lives? beyond important you know i tell the story in the book about martha graham the dancer and she had this collaborator who like she was famously a perfectionist and he was the one who when she would get into one of these spirals be like all right it's it we're shipping it right like he had to save her from herself in that regard um so you could go oh maybe she didn't have any self-discipline well she kept this person around right like this person who challenged her who held her accountable she listened to that person And so, you know, as I was saying, editors are great for this. Spouses are great for this. The audience can be great for this, but you have to be willing to listen, right? And uh, I think this is why I I just disagree with that idea entirely that, you know, being an unbalanced art monster is a prescription for being great at art, right? Like you need, I think you need something like, oh, I don't want these people to to tie me down. Well, maybe they're what they're tying you down to is reality, right? (laughs) Uh, and, uh, that, that can be really, really important. All right. Last question here on discipline. Then we'll, we've got a couple things to wind down with, but specifically around discipline. Um, there is an idea amongst people who, uh, have achieved enough success to know this, that we could say that discipline or hard work or grit or whatever it's easy when you have nothing, 
Yeah. And that as you, you know, as you create success and, you know, again, this is a tenuous relationship that I like to pair these words, success and fulfillment, but as you cultivate this in your life, you start to realize, because you, when you have nothing, it's easy to bet at all because it's making a pretty small bet, but now here you are. Ryan Holiday, 10 New York Times bestsellers in, you know, 10 more in your back pocket, I'm sure, writing every day, all kinds of interesting other projects. Um, and you have more to lose. So how do you maintain creative courage? How do you maintain the discipline to, you know, output work and to make the, you know, cultivate the ideas and the impact that you want while the risks of doing so are constantly increasing rather than the other way around. Most people think, oh, I will be courageous when I'm successful. Right. And the irony is that, you know, it's just the other way around. So, well, you know, Bruce Springsteen uh, says you got to stay hungry or they'll carve you up, right? And I think there's a, there's a certain amount of truth to that. Uh, one of the ways I think you stay hungry is not by like constantly moving the goalpost, like being like, well, I wanted to do this and now I want to do this and now I want to do this. It's more like you're just not a person who's satisfied or that interested in the external stuff, right? Like, um if the reason you were writing a book was to be a New York Times bestseller, then once you become a New York Times bestseller, then that motivator is gone. If you were writing a book because you want to get better as a writer, because you have things that you want to say, well, then nothing really ever, you know, you never really get there. So I think it's about attaching to goals that are not so superficial or, you know, externally represented i think that's really the key what's the phrase she who loves walking will walk farther than she who loves the destination or something like that yes uh congratulations on another work of staggering genius um man and you're already you're already almost done with number three uh Uh, not almost done but i i am i am deep in it uh and i feel like it's i'm starting i'm starting to get a sense of what it is is it weird to telegraph what you're writing on you you said i'm gonna write you know i i did this one on courage and hey by the way there's there's three more coming is that cool or weird i like i mean i like it because then like it makes the release a bit anticlimactic or you know sort of not that important because i'm like i got i'm like taking a break to put this uh the day I'm putting out discipline, I will have writing that I was doing for justice, right? And it keeps it keeps you busy. Which I don't think your your uh, desired outcome is to be busy, but I know you are very busy. Thank you so much for taking time. Congrats! Thanks. And we're going to see this book everywhere as we have with your last. Um, and again, this idea of uh, sharing your whole universe with us rather than just one book so i hope you you were you were cool going there versus i loved it just, just the talk on on discipline um all right well we got uh shit to talk about as soon as i turn this mic off because i right. know uh um your time is limited but until next time again congrats on the book everyone out there again we we know how to support ryan and his work here discipline is destiny is the book is out now and uh 
Ghostportum, or by the time you order this, it will be in your inbox, I guess, in a couple of days or something like that in your uh, mailbox. Uh, until next time, anything else you got, Ryan, where you want to steer people? I mean, you know, Daily Stoic. Uh, yeah, uh, just, just dailystoic.com. Dailystoic.com. All right. From Ryan and myself, until next time, we both bid you adios and adieu. Thanks, man. All right, that's all for today's show. But hey, before you go, I want to say thank you for listening and also for engaging with the platform. Wherever you consume the show, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere, thank you so much. Reviews help a ton if you're willing to. And I want to let you know in an effort to continue the topics we explore here on the show, or if you have questions, you can always direct your comments to me on all my social feeds. I'm at Chase Jarvis everywhere, but also... I will see your message quicker if you shoot me a text. That's right. I can text directly with you. The best way is to hit me up at 206-309-5177. I get a lot of texts, so I can't always get back to you right in the moment. But trust me, those are my thumbs on the other end of the keyboard. So I want to say thanks so much, and I look forward to engaging with you soon.